Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Start your engines, boys and girls. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Brought to you by Bemidji Theaters. I'm Dave Brooks. I'm Joel Hoover. Happy New Year. Welcome back. It's a whole new season, I guess you could call it. Yes, I guess you could. 2019 is up and running. We're back up and running once again after taking a break over Christmas and New Year's and enjoying a little bit of time off. We're back, and so is the pod. And enjoying some great shows over the holiday season, uh, Bemidji Theaters. That place was a madhouse. Everybody was going to see those shows. Yeah, you were. Were you out there? I took in. Uh, I took in one of them. Uh, we okay. were out, we were out of town for a lot of the holidays, so we were going to some other theaters too that were out of town. Um, but went to see one, and boy, I mean, it was like the days of old where you had to stand in a line actually and wait, and that was good. Good to see. So you appreciated that little bit of nostalgia then, even though it involved a line? Not even the nostalgia. It's when people are excited to go see a movie and you're standing in a crowded lobby while they're waiting to let you into that given theater. Uh, back when back when it was the Amigo Theater, way back when, even before you were here, it was a tiny little shack, you know. So if you were going to go see one of the bigger movies, it was armpit to armpit in there, you know. Then they did the remodel. I don't know, maybe close to ten years ago, and now it is what it is. But it's still a great spot to go see those shows. It absolutely is located on Highway Two, just across from the airport, and we appreciate having the Bemidji Theater on board as the sponsor of this podcast don't forget if you're a movie fan with a budget five dollar tuesdays tickets are five dollars for all the shows uh get yourself a pop and you get unlimited popcorn or vice versa i can't remember which is which but it's definitely a good deal i will warn though i will caution it gets packed there on tuesdays i have learned this from experience especially if there is a new movie that is opening midweek it gets very packed there i experienced that around thanksgiving when i went to see creed 2 yeah, with us, we're a little ways away from the summer season at the time that we're recording this, but uh, when we get closer, keep that in mind. All right, so a new year is up and running. We've got a new topic for today. It's a general topic, so uh, this is something that really could be listened to at just about any time, I would imagine, with what we've got going today. couple of current bibs and bobs to get into. Bibs and bobs. <laughs> That's one that, that I've... Grown up being around, my uncle would always say that in class uh, when I had him as a teacher. Uh, he'd say bibs and bobs uh, right, to yeah, get into. That, that's so cool. here's uh, here's one, Dave, and you brought this up before we started recording today. Just reflecting on 2018 in general, you know, it's interesting with with so many movies going to streaming. And if you've seen a commercial for a movie recently, there's a good chance it's had an only on Netflix tag slapped on the end of it, and I'm at least a little conflicted when I see that sometimes. Now, with some movies like Bird Box, they get a they get a brief opening in theaters, and then they're heading to Netflix. Same thing with Roma. Mm-hmm. Brief opening in theaters, then went straight to Netflix. However, it was, as you said, Dave, a tremendous year at the box office. Yeah, 2018 on record as the most profitable of all years ever. And it seems like every five to ten years they hit a new plateau, which you know is expected, or a new peak rather. Um, but here, here the other thing is that you and I were kind of throwing around with our bibs and bobs before we went on. Was you always hear about financial hardships? Well, the studios and this. Well, the theaters themselves are not doing this. Uh, when you're making money like that, how do you possibly say that? Well, you know, we're having such a hard time. Uh, the fans aren't coming out like they're supposed to. What are you talking about? You just had the most profitable year of all years, and you got to look at Avengers uh, as, you know, Infinity War was huge, ginormous. It was the movie of the summer, and it came out in, like, late April, pretty much. I mean, it was huge. Uh, I don't understand how you can make those arguments that the financial times are here, and, well, look, you know, the effects houses, and they're not getting a lot of turn in, but I, I, uh, there's so many ways you could go with this. 
that's inflation related, Dave. Inflation related. I yes. I believe in many ways that is an inflation related thing. You know, it, that goes to not only why it was the biggest mo- movie year ever at the box office, but people can can still afford to go because people have more money now than they did in the past in terms of overall, and that's inflation related. So. When it comes to can the middle class go or not go, which I think that's the main question out of that, right, is can the middle class be able to go to see the movies or not? I think they, there's at least some that that they would be able to go. Now, if it comes to a middle class family or a large family, there might be some challenge in there on going consistently. But if you want to pick and choose your movie, you can do that, it Honest- seems. If we're, I mean, unless you're the Von Trapp family and you got a bunch of kids, if you're honestly saying that, you know, well, I don't know if we can afford to go to the movies, and we got a problem here, you know, going to a matinee or something, even at then, you know, on a on a Tuesday or something, when there are those, depending on which theater you're talking about, that's the way to go. If you got a an issue or five dollar ticket Tuesdays like they have at the Bemidji Theater, great way to go. Um, you know, I, I think a movie is one of those things. I don't want to call it a right because I don't think I'd go that far, but it is one of those things that everyone should be able to go. You know, so even when I was a kid, I got a three dollar per month allowance, and I would save it up and go pick my battles, and I would walk to the theater and go on a matinee and probably go without the popcorn but get the soda and make it happen. Let's look at the box office for last year then. If you had to guess which movie was the top grossing movie of 2018 domestically, we'll just go domestically here, what would you say it was? I gotta say Avengers. Avengers Infinity War was number two. Ooh. 678 million domestically. Hmm. I, I would have th- said that was far and away the champ. Well, then who's gonna. It's, then it's gotta be uh, Aquaman. Aquaman was number six domestically. And it's still rising. With 287. That was just for last year. But yeah, it's overall number. By the way, Aquaman worldwide in 2018, just 2018, grossed $1.02 billion. It has done huge globally. I'd say DC has found a way to snap their slump then, if that's the case. Yeah. Well, who would be number one? Globally, it did well. Aside from those two. You have to think back a little bit. Like January, I, I'm drawing a blank. Those are the two big blips on the radar. Think back, like almost a year ago. That's probably why it's a little buried in your conscience hmm. or your consciousness. Well, it wasn't. St- it couldn't have been Star Wars. That came out in December. No, Solo: A Star Wars Story was tenth. That was still 2017. I, I, I'm drawing a blank. Black Panther. That's right. That came out in February, didn't yep. it? Yeah, and it it did incredible business. Seven hundred million domestically at the box office worldwide avengers was top just over two billion black panther came in second at 1.3 i think what that means marvel takes one and two on the most profitable year of all years here's the top 10 black panther then avengers infinity war incredibles 2 was third domestically with just over 600 million jurassic world fallen kingdom then deadpool 2 aquaman dr seuss's the grinch mission impossible fallout ant-man and the wasp and Solo, A Star Wars Story. Look at how many sequels or remakes are in there. That's the entirety of the list right there, or part of a franchise. So they really carried things domestically. But look look at some of the ones that came 10 through 20, and these are all in the 200 to 150 million range when you're going down. You've got Venom, A Star is Born was in there, Bohemian Rhapsody, Ralph Breaks the Internet, A Quiet Place dipped in there, Crazy Rich Asians, which did terrific business, um, and then you've got the the new Halloween was in there, Mary Poppins Returns, just among others. So, and a pretty eclectic mix when you get in there in terms of reminding you that, hey, some new ideas can still work yeah, at the box office. Yeah, about most of those movies, though, I think at least nine out of ten of them are all geared toward the younger demographic. You know, they're gearing toward the future. And it's not, I mean, look at look back at the past at what some of those greatest of all time movies that were top five of the year they came out, Godfather, not really made for the younger crowd. You know, clearly, I, I don't think it means that older people aren't going to the theater. I think they're just trying to lasso in that next generation, get them in, and then keep them coming in. You know, I mean, I mean, 
wow, every one of those was some sort of an adaption, sequel, remake, reboot. Yeah. Did it, did it, did it. And generated it the young kids with a toy line to go with it. Which is why I'm glad that a movie like A Quiet Place broke in there. Yeah. And, and did so well last year. Yeah, that, and that just proves the point. We've, we've talked about it before. We won't go too deep into it today, but if you build it, they will come. Exactly. You make a good movie, people will go see it. Doesn't they'll, have to have exploding aliens. And not only will they go see it, they'll talk about it, too. Yeah. They of course, will. The Quiet Place did have monsters, so there was, you know, there was that. Yes, but it was original. That yeah, was very, the point. Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's get into today's topic, Dave. We've we've given a little bit of a wetting of of the appetite here. You're you're chuckling because this was a Just, topic that you and I had been brainstorming about, and when you brought this up, my eyes kind of lit up, and I was like, "That's a great idea, Dave," because this is something that I think everybody experiences at the movies at some point. Let's give it to them like this: the experience, the movie experience. You're at the snack bar. You've gone to the gatekeeper, and you've got your ticket to go in and see it. You're going to get that cola. You're going to get your popcorn and jujubes or whatever. You walk into that darkened theater that is just heavy with anticipation, and then the movies begin. And it's the moment you realize the movie you have just started to watch is going to suck. <laughs> that is to to- the topic for the day. Yes, it is. Which oh. I think... I think every moviegoer has experienced this to some degree. <laughs> Maybe they wouldn't say, oh, that that's when I knew this movie sucked. Maybe it was when they went, this movie is not what I thought it was going to be, and it's in a disappointing way. Because I was thinking about that on the way in today. I was like, it's not even just, oh, wow, this is when I realized this movie is terrible. It's when they realized, this movie's not very good. Like there's, I I think there are the degrees to it, but everyone has experienced it oh, yeah. somewhere along that spectrum of, wow, this is when I realized this movie was not going to be very good. And we got to draw that distinction too. I mean, how many boys, boyfriends and girlfriends, husbands and wives, have been dragged to movies they didn't want to see in the first place? You know, not go pick the best sports movie you've ever seen. Who somewhere, some girlfriend got dragged to a sports movie that she doesn't even like sports, but. Despite that it not being her taste, you know, I can see where the appeal was. Okay, that's not a bad movie. It's just not your movie. Or a right. guy being dragged into a rom-com and he doesn't really like romantic movies. And eh, Okay, there was some charm to it, but it was those are not what we're talking about. We're talking about being going to a movie that you want to see or don't want to see and realizing nobody's going to like this movie. For those who have listened to this podcast, I, I think they can understand what I'm about to say, which is... They've, I think, picked up that I am selective with the movies that I go to. Generally, I'm pretty selective with what I go to. You, Dave, on the other hand, are selective, but you'll take a flyer every now and then a little bit more often than me. Would you say that's pretty fair? Yeah, I've got I've got a skill. If I was an X-Man, my superpower would be being able to tell if the movie's any good based on the trailer. And I've got about a 90%... Hit rate. A- accuracy rate. That's um, good. But, you know, that's... Saves uh, you money. Put it to you like this. Think of a, of a movie uh, trailer as somebody that's attractive or less attractive. I've got a wide range of what I like in an attractive, you know, so there's a wide range of what I like in movies. I don't always like uh, some of the... I, I have no desire to go see Aquaman, to tell you the honest truth. I don't. I know it's a huge, big movie, but I'm just... I'm not drawn to it, you know, and maybe that the bubble is bursting for me for, this, for the comic book stuff. I'm not saying I don't like them. I'm just saying I don't feel, I don't feel that tractor beam pulling me into it. I'm sure I, I will see it. I'll guarantee you I will. You mean a but, buff guy holding a trident harnessing the creatures of the sea doesn't appeal to you? I, I'm only talking about the humorous <laughs> side here, but Aquaman to me is like, that's a superhero, really? I mean, I get it. He's king of the sea and all that. What happens when the problem is up on the land? You know, he's out of his element. You know, can he work in a pond? Very thoughtful, Dave. Can he work in a stream? You know, then maybe he's got further reach, but, you know, how far do you see a bass up onto the yard? Not very, you know. So I'm sure Aquaman's, I mean, I'm I'm going for the humor route here, I know. Yes. But um, eh, there's nothing against. I'll put it to you this way. You got very technical with that. I'll put it to you this way. I had, when the first Spider-Man movie came out, and by that I mean Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi and Kirsten Dunst and... uh, uh, anyway, I had no real desire to go see it. I'm not a big comic book guy, but my friends were like, oh, we're going to see it. So I went in with zero expectations, 
and was blown away. I thought it was spectacular. So will the same thing happen with Aquaman? Probably. I mean, you don't get numbers like that by it being a eh movie. So I will prob- I will see it. I know I will. But I'm not driven to go see it. But the other thing is when you've got a toddler at home and you don't get to go see every movie you want to yes. see in the theater, then you do kind of pick your battles a little more frequently. That's right. All right, Dave, what's a prime example of a movie where you went in and you realized, oh, no, this is not good? Is there there a prime example that stands out, at least in theaters? I've got – there's a couple of tip-offs that are very unscientific, but they tend to hold up. For one, if you have dual directors. Now, there's exceptions to this. You know, you've got the, the, the Coen brothers, for example. Technically, one directs, the other produces. They both write. But for all intents and purposes, they're both on set. They both direct it, really, you know. But that's, they're a team. That's how it works. You know, the Wachowski brothers with Matrix, that, they're, they're, that's a partnership. That's a different thing. But when you get two guys, every once in a while, you'll see directed by so and so. Problem, you know. And, and I'm not talking about when it's a team. I'm talking about maybe something happened. And maybe the director was replaced and they both did about the same amount of work. And so it's, you know, they both get their name on it. Or it's just some sort of a team up, but they're not a partnership necessarily. Most of the time when I see a dual director, you know you've got a problem. The exception also would be animated films because that works a little differently. But uh, I can think of a couple, like a Tom Hanks film from the 90s or the 80s. I can't even remember which it was. Had two directors on it and it was just steaming pile. You know, that's, that's a tip off. For me, it's very unscientific, but show me the examples where those are not in an application. I don't know how to describe that. Now, I want to ask you a question, and this is going to take take you back in time a little bit. And for me, I was a bit young at the time to really get a sense of what the, the general mass disappointment on this was. But we have discussed this before in yeah. some capacities. When you walked into the theater to see Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace for the first time. I was going to say this one for last, but okay. You, we'll, you we'll were. We'll, oh, no, no, we'll I'm, jump ahead. I'm jumping That's, the gun ju- then. Jump ahead. That's Sorry, okay. because that was one of the ones I thought about coming in. When I was a kid and went to see this movie, I had seen all the other Star Wars movies prior to this. My, my parents decided I was old enough to be able to watch the other ones before this one came along. So I had seen the other ones, and... Kind of went into this one, and and I'm a kid, you know, so I'm I'm entranced by all the stuff that I'm seeing going on with this one. You're a bit older than me. You appreciate Star Wars in in more of a historical sense than I did at the time when I was a kid. When did that moment come that you realized the Phantom Menace was and and everybody in general? I read about this all the time. And yet I sometimes wonder, is this people who are going revisionist history on their own thoughts of how they experienced that movie? Was it really that much of a mass disappointment of, huh, when Phantom Menace played out? It was kind of, but kind of not. I'll tell you the story. I went and saw it the very first day it opened. And, you know, we're all, I was in college at the time. And uh, a whole lot of, we were all thrilled. I mean, on pins and needles, couldn't wait. But this movie opened about a week after college got out for summer vacation. So we all scattered. Ella had her jobs and internships and so forth. So we didn't all get to see it together. We all kind of saw it individually. So I went and saw it opening day. I had an internship that summer, and I was able to get out of work just a little early or off the internship to go see whatever screening. This was down in Brainerd. And I go in there, and we got to the Gungan City scene, and I'm just like, Something's not right here. I mean, this is Star Wars. Any movie should pull you in, even if it's the setup. The first 15 minutes of Back to the Future is kind of slow, but it's setting up everything that comes after. And even when it's setting it up, it's still kind of interesting. You know, it pulls you in a little bit, and then it really hits it. Now we're to that point in Star Wars. Star Wars! And I'm not feeling pulled in. I'm kind of very aware that I'm sitting in a movie theater with a lot of people waiting for it to, okay, get going. Enough of this cutesy, oh, squeeze me. It just, it wasn't working. Then you come to the pod racing. You're, All right, here we go. Here we go. Took a little long for the buildup. This is cool. And then it turns into C-SPAN. It just, you know, to, it, intergalactic debates. Like, what the? this? So I walked out of the movie thinking, it's got to be me. It's got to be me. I must have been. You, you couldn't live up to the hype. Okay, I went and saw it a second time. Cut ahead to this part of the story. 
a whole bunch of us later in the summer, we all got together. We're sitting down and having pancakes late one night at some great restaurant in town, and we're all talking. And it was almost forbidden, taboo, to speak out against Star Wars at this point. You know, you didn't get the fan backlash like you get now. And nobody, right. and everyone was afraid to bring it up. And finally, somebody at the table brought was the tough one, said, am I the only one that was really underwhelmed? And it was like torrent opening. It was like, yeah, I saw it three times and I it couldn't. It felt okay to talk about. Yeah. Yep. There was a taboo holding it back. People had seen it three times and they were like, I love Star Wars and everything about it, but something's missing here. Something just isn't right. And I kind of felt the same way with The Last Jedi when it came out. It was, I mean, I'm not going to sending toxic hate mail to oh. people. It's just, it's not a bad movie. It's just Star Wars has set the bar up here. And this movie is firmly holding the bar somewhere in the middle. And that's better than most, but it's below where the rest of them are. You know, so Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Last Jedi, those three in particular. <sighs> You know when I realize that a movie is is not going to be great, at least in my book, when it starts to almost too prominently borrow elements of movies that have maybe come previously within its world or its franchise, mm. when it starts to borrow too much of the previous elements, that, that was one that really stuck out when I was considering this topic coming in, and that's where... The Force Awakens bothered me so much because and, and I know I've talked about this and I know a lot of people were were gaga over that movie. I left that movie going. Actually, the first time I saw it, I was like, that was pretty cool. The second time, which I watched with my brothers, they have a little bit more of a critical eye than I do on some things. And they pointed that out to me pretty strongly. And the more that I thought about it, and that was after a spirited debate with them. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what? They're right. They borrowed way too much from the old movies in terms of trying to find vibe and feel and even story. They duplicated so many elements in terms of what had been previously. Prominent character getting killed. Person comes kind of out of nowhere. Um... There's a threatening force that exists, even though they had kind of eradicated the threatening force at the end of Return of the Jedi and taken care of that. No, there's still a threatening force that's out there. We're not going to explain how they kind of got to that, but they're still out there. And I'm going, what? Didn't we just, didn't we see this like a couple decades ago? Like some of the other things that they did were cool, like returning some of the visual aspects to what felt like a bygone kind of feel with Star Wars, but but I got a sense that it was that they had copied a lot of elements of story. Let me take it to a little bit more of a juvenile sense of that. I'm gonna, and this is a really obscure one. You never it, get juvenile. But it Ooh. makes my, but it makes my point. The Sandlot Two. Never saw it. Never saw it. No. Don't. No, I've heard that. That's why Don't. I've never seen it. It felt like this was a classic. I mean, it was it was kind of cool that they. They incorporated some girls in there with the group, and that was cool, and they, they incorporated having them play, too. But I felt like I was watching carbon copy elements of the Sandlot, and oh, they tossed a romance in for good measure. I was like, come on! I don't, I'm not, I am not here to watch the same movie! I'm not here to, to watch a kid say, you play ball like a girl, again. No! I'm not here for that! Now, I, well, I think it, it was uh, there's, there's two so different, copying okay. elements. Copying elements, big big problem with that. Okay, I, you know, I, I'm I'm I think you're in, certainly entitled to your opinion. I personally thought Force Awakens was great, and I don't want to go too much down the Star Wars trail, but that might be more like expectations rather. Was the movie any good? You know, the Last Jedi, like I said, it's not a bad movie, but it left a lot of people disappointed. Oh, I I I thought it was better than Force Awakens, but I still cringed. With the Princess Leia scene, or, or General Leia scene with her in space. Mm. I cringed at that scene. I cringed I don't think at some it of those double-down elements that they went on and continued on for the last movie. Yeah. 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 That, but that you're talking about expectations versus just falls flat. Let's let's shift gears into something different with Holmes and Watson. Huge bomb. Came out around Christmas time, which is usually when they put their crown jewels out. So we've got John C. and we've got... Will Ferrell, these guys, stepbrothers. 
Um, they're all over the place with each other, even cameoing in each other's movies. The movie was just horrendous. And I've not seen it because everyone is telling you, don't go see this. This is move. This is time of my life. I wish I could get back. So I can't be wow. specific as to why uh, it doesn't work. But this is already a very established, well-working duo. And Adam McKay, who directed it, and many of their others. So you've got all the pieces in place. What happened here? You know, Can you go the route of, say, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? You've got everybody back, pretty much. But it just doesn't really work. So what what goes wrong? I can only speculate about this movie, but apparently the jokes fall flat. Um, the everything about the movie from start to finish, the script is horrible. Eh, we'll just come up with something. We'll put these guys in it. It'll be fine. And it just didn't work out that way. Is the general gist? Yeah, a movie that you know just doesn't work. Not necessarily about expectations, and that almost makes it worse when it really doesn't work because you know this team is great together. And then this, you go in with those expectations. Oh, Anchorman. Oh, we got this. No Step Brothers. Yep. <laughs> Makes it worse. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by Bemidji Theater, and we are pleased to have them aboard as a sponsor of the podcast as we're talking today a little bit about movies that we knew were terrible. And when was that moment when we knew that movie was terrible? Do I hear another unscientific way that I can tell? Sure. It's usually with comedies. That you'll have like a like a animated opening, a cartoon opening. Uh, obviously, I'm not talking about C, you know CGI necessarily, but uh, the one of the exceptions be like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I was going to say it's got a cartoon opening, but keep this in mind too. When that movie came out in '89, it was okay. Now, I mean, now it's a big, big classic. It takes a few years for that to bake, you know. And I haven't really felt only be in the last five, ten years that that movie's become like a classic now. But it was fine when it came out, but it wasn't some juggernaut either. It was like, well, Chevy Chase did okay at the box office, but now it's special. established. Now it's established, you know. But when the movie was first out, and it had a cartoon opening, yeah. So that might be exception to the rule. But every now and again, Weekend at Bernie's, kind of a fun dumb comedy. Weekend at Bernie's two, cartoon opening, dumb, 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 dumb movie. Whatever magic was in the first one was nowhere near the set for the second one. Cartoon openings, generally, I mean, unless it's a cartoon, obviously, but if you've got live actors and it's a cartoon opening and with two directors, you know you might as well get right up right now and see if you can try to switch theaters to some other show. If you don't mind, I'm going to backtrack really quick to what you said at the beginning about how astute you were in picking out if a movie's going to be bad based on a trailer. Because I had that experience just a couple of months ago when I saw the first trailer for Robin Hood. The new Robin Hood movie. It was like love at first sight, or in this case, it was terrible movie at first sight. I knew it when I saw the trailer. Just with some of the lines and the way that they made the trailer and and the way that they did some of the advertising, I was like, this movie's going to be terrible. Nobody's going to go see it because Robin Hood movies just have not worked over like the last 20 years. Russell Crowe. Shout out. And and I just knew this is going to be a bomb critically as well. You could just tell it had all it had that feeling of they're trying to riff on a a classic and they're trying to do so using a couple of pretty well known actors, Taron Edgerton and Jamie Foxx, and and mixing in um something more modern. Yeah, a little bit more of a modern kind of feel to it, a lot of explosions. Um, and it didn't feel like a coherent trailer, which leads into another one, plot coherency. I think plot, co- uh, there are times when I've watched movies and gone, this just feels totally off the rails in terms of plot. And I and I don't know where this is going. I, I really am confused where the plot is going here. That's another surefire sign to me that this movie is not very good, is when the plot just feels like it's become a jumbled mess. There's a lot of times you'll see a movie trailer to a movie that's upcoming, obviously, because they're always upcoming, that you didn't ask for. Now, most of the times it might be a movie you never even really knew was coming. You're like, ooh, ooh, that does look good. But Robin Hood, nobody asked for this. Nobody was really on board for this. 
Um, and I mean, when they come up with the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie, no one's asking for these anymore. Why are they still moving forward? You know, they're not showing any new life to these franchises. You know, maybe Bumblebee is turning things around for Transformers. We'll see. Um, Fast and the Furious, for a while, we were like, who's asking for more? And then they've kind of revitalized it. So now it's doing better. People looking forward to it. Pirates, come on. Robin Hood, unless you're going to give me something really good. Forget about it. Well, Transformers experienced that in its own way until Bumblebee came along. I know you referenced that. But Transformers, I I saw the first one. I liked the first one. It was was entertaining. It was fun. Michael Bay wasn't overbaked in terms of his style of movie yet. He hadn't feuded with with, uh, Megan Fox yet. It, It just kind of felt like a fun, sort of goofy movie that had a little bit of humor on the edges. Shia LaBeouf. Kind of helped provide that. Um, others within the movie providing that. It had a tone of seriousness, but it had a good blend. Then the second movie came along, and it just felt bigger and more bloated. And this gets back to what I said about plot. The plot started to feel less coherent. And the explosions started to get bigger and bigger. And and the the emphasis on the action piece started to get bigger. And then the third movie came along. And now we're changing up characters. Now we're throwing the now we're throwing them into a, a different time now we're you know we're trying to ride on previous elements and we're trying to really ride the humor and ride the action and all of a sudden plot coherency is just out the window and we've got Ken Jong running around doing ridiculous things in this movie and it started to feel like a gimmick and and I went to see both the second and third ones in theaters I've never to this point in my life walked out of a movie Never walked out of one, but I've sure left them going, that wasn't very good. And that was the case, especially after the third one, where I was just like, okay, this was bad. I walked out of one movie in my life, and it was Dracula Dead and Loving It with Leslie Nielsen, which I knew going in was going to be a bad movie. It was one of those where the group decided, and I was along with the group, and oh. I was vehemently against it. Well, the group won, and we, and we went, and we all walked out. And I didn't want to be there. Oh, I told you so. But, I mean, you know how you could tell that was going to be so bad was even in the trailers. you got to throw some of your best shots out there. And none of them made me even smile in the trailer. just looked like, let's put a really funny comedic actor into just a bad role of some sort of a classic tale. Though everything about the trailer was horrible. You knew that those were the best shots. The movie doesn't have stand a chance. And that's a pretty darn good way to know. Oh, yeah, just you know, or interested in things that like nobody else is interested in. But I really want to see the history of crocheting. Well, I don't, and no does no, no neither does anybody else. Well, I'm going to throw the biggest tantrum here until we go see the history of crocheting. <sighs> then you go see the history of crocheting or some other horrible movie, and nobody's happy except for the one person. And half the time, even they find out that yeah, okay, that was a bad movie. Here's a question, and this is a personal aesthetic that I think some people may have. I have one. Maybe you do too. Are there movies where, for you, you realize this is not a very good movie? Maybe not on the this movie sucks kind of kind of feeling, but this is not a great movie. And you get that feeling based on the amount of violence or the amount of language that's in that movie. That's I, that's going to boil down to something else. That's personal taste, which is why I said that's a personal aesthetic. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it to you this way, and I you know Deadpool, big big. Big movie, big franchise, doing great things. Uh, my wife and I just watched Deadpool 2 the other night, and we were laughing out loud. This is not a movie I will loan to you unless you ask for it, because I know you're not going to like it. Parts of it, yeah, but other parts you're going to be, uh, yeah, probably another movie you've never seen, but those of you listening, well, have you ever saw the movie Bad Santa? Very funny movie. I would never loan it to you. Uh, John Ritter plays the, the, the mall manager. And Billy Bob Thornton is just foul mouth like he is. And every time he's cursing, you just see John Ritter kind of, <laughs> you know, make this face. Yeah. That would be you. You might enjoy parts of the movie, but you'd be making that face all the way through it. Like, oh, 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 oh. So that's a personal thing. I've, it is. I've seen yeah. some extremely violent movies and just thought it was violence for the sake of violence. And other times it's done okay. Uh, I've seen some really raunchy things that are really funny. And other really raunchy things for the sake of raunch. That's probably why I'm not a big South Park fan. I I think there's a lot of genius to it, but sometimes it's kind of raunch for raunch sake, and for me that just doesn't quite grab me unless there's a good reason behind it. So, 
yeah, personal taste. That is where I kind of stand on on other elements like coarse language. I think if it's if it's in there and it's just kind of adding to the the depth and the seriousness of the story or that they're really getting into character, that's one thing. There are times where it feels like movies today try too hard with that. Or they 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 try to do that and it just feels like okay, you said that word a couple of minutes ago, how many times within these last few minutes? I'm thinking it, G and Silent Bob here. It just it just feels like too much and it feels like you're just doing it to do it now. There's it doesn't add anything to the story really by doing that. Same thing goes for nudity. That's kind of where I stand on nudity. Many times I'm just like, okay, this could have been filmed a lot differently. Was it really necessary to go that route? I don't think it was. And again, violence, same way. Sometimes it's just ridiculous. And it's like there, there's no point to doing that, which Quentin Tarantino has walked that pretty fine line in, in many respects where it's like, okay, this doesn't really feel like it's needed, uh, you know, something like that. Sometimes these things add to the movie. Some of them might. Uh, Again, with the nudity thing, I think that can be taken care of by better camera work, and you don't don't have to go with all of that. Um, Same thing with language. You don't need to sprinkle. You can sprinkle it in just to add to maybe some of the realism. You don't need to make it a constant just to make it a constant. It's, but again, you're right. That is a personal aesthetic kind of thing. But oftentimes I leave movies going, yeah, that, that didn't, I don't feel great about that movie. And that's kind of why is, was this really needed? Some of those elements, did they take away from what else you're trying to accomplish with plot and story? Yeah. Another one that you can tell generally, now this is this can get tricky territory, is direct-to-video. Those almost a death knell for whether people want to oh, see it. Oh, yeah. And if you're standing at, say, the red box machine or whatever the case, um, be cautious. I, I'll tell you a real quick story. I had a girlfriend years ago, long before I was married, obviously, and we were big movie fans. And this is back when there were still video stores. And I have a whole bunch that I own. So she wanted to contribute. She would go to you know Blockbuster or wherever, and she would rent something and bring it in. And every single time, and I mean that literally, she picked some movie that was horrendous, just bad and dumb. I'd never heard of the movie before, let alone anybody in it except for one guy, and he was like so and so stand-in from some other movie. You know, was, nobody was in it that was well known or well past their prime. And within fifteen minutes, you knew the movie was just a waste of time, and this was going to just. Uh, and I kind of was teasing her about it and calling her out, and finally we got to the point where she's we're 15 minutes into the movie, and she would stand up and just hit the button. Fine, I can't pick a movie. You pick the movies. There was something kind of funny about that. I mean, that's why I remember the story. But So there are movies like that that will come out that just, if they're direct-to-video, I'm not saying that it's not worth watching. Some of them are. Um, there was a movie that I kind of caught wind of, and it looked interesting, but to my knowledge, they never went to theaters. Um, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil was one. It was sort of a horror comedy with uh, Alan Tudyk, who is funny in everything, everything, and two rednecks that are you know just cool and normal as anybody else, but a group of kids think they're mass murderers, and so just happenstance. It's funny. It's sort of a comedy with a little thrown a horror horror thrown in, but it's a hoot. Um, it's, it's movies like that that come out that you never heard of anybody in it, you never heard of the movie, and you're going to go and rent it based on the title. And a lot of Netflix movies have that. And I don't mean necessarily the ones being made by Netflix. I mean a lot of movies on Netflix. I've never heard of this movie before. I don't yeah. know like anybody that's in this. Well, 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 this sounds interesting. We'll watch it. And within 15 minutes, you know you've made a bad pick. Which is what we're talking about. Exactly. and There's a reason you didn't hear about it before. It is interesting, Dave, that we are kind of coming into that point of movie watching. We referenced this during our opening of the the episode today when we were talking about um, how we had a great year at the box office this past year, even with a lot of streaming movies that exist now. I think a lot of streaming movies, that there's, the reason is there is such a bulk is that it is kind of an open land. It's open season to to kind of go and you can put your movie idea out there and get it on Netflix, no matter what it might be and how good it might be or not so good, because you just kind of throw it on there, and if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, 
you know, it'll just fall by the wayside. Well, and, the Cloverfield Paradox is a good example. Yeah. Where it was going to be out in theaters, and apparently, according to behind the scenes, they realized quickly, oh, this is not going to go well. Let's sell it to Netflix because they're buying everything, and they did. Big hoopla for about a week because it was all there was before it came out, and everybody went to see it, and nobody liked it. And it Most ju- people didn't like and it. And it feels like that's kind of the direction that movie watching is going is, all right, let's let's put a bulk of content in a place where a lot of people can access it. Netflix. Let's see what sticks. And you know what? If you're starting to watch this movie 15 minutes in and you're not into it, no problem because we've got such a huge catalog of other new Netflix original content that's out there for you to be able to try and, and see if you like it. And I'm not sure how I feel about that because it's it kind of taps into the the mentality of okay let's let's just step into the theater and and go see this and okay not very good let's move on and and it kind of opens that that land up to almost become a wasteland of movie watching like that where is it going to make people almost get too picky is it going to make people like what's that going to do for our movie watching when already we go into movies and we take a flyer sometimes we talked about that whole idea of taking a flyer on a movie and is this going to impact the way that we do that as movie consumers if the movie watching experience continues to change and go online more Uh, maybe that's putting too much thought into it maybe but I think of it like this. Think of it like... It's um, a side topic, though, for this yeah, main topic. Yeah, think of it like um, you can get all the ingredients into a cake, and you, you got it right. You put it in the oven, but for some reason, the yeast doesn't kick in, and the thing doesn't rise the way it's supposed to. Why did it happen like this? Everything that you needed was there. Well, who knows? Maybe the yeast was old. Who knows? You know, the same kind of thing with a movie. I mean, look at Holmes and Watson. Again, you could throw in the two actors and the director that have really been a good team over the past, and it just didn't work this time. Why? Uh, there will probably be some discussions about that. What happened to The Last Jedi? Why did it go so weird? Was it Ryan Johnson or is it powers above him? Uh, you can you can debate that. I don't know if we have an answer. I could take a guess for Holmes and Watson, and I haven't even seen it. When you put together the those same two guys, along with the director who's kind of done those those types of movies before, you wonder, is the formula getting old? And you wonder, are they staying fresh with coming up with something new and innovative? Not just a, let's let's put John C. Riley and Will Ferrell into a new setting and just let them run with it. It's You've still got to come through with putting together the world around these elements that you are constantly relying on. You've still got to put together the elements around that. Yeah, I think, but I also think funny is funny. You know, it may be stale funny, but it's still funny. You know, eh, it's okay, but it wasn't anything great. Well, that would be a sign that maybe it's falling flat on its own premise. But if everything falls flat, then something just didn't work right. As far as things like Netflix go, where you've got a lot of B content, I would say, with the core of A content. Oh, yeah. uh, You know, once you get people on Netflix, you already have their money. You know, why not come up with some sort of a rating system? Well, it might turn people away from this movie. So what? So what? You've already got their 10 bucks a month or whatever it is nowadays or Hulu or whatever the case. How about a rating system? You know, better yet, how about like a date app built into Netflix? So are you still up watching this episode binge well, at 3 in the morning? So are these other people in a town near you. Isn't it funny that Netflix took away its five-star system at yeah. around the time when they started adding more and more of their own content? Because their content was getting trashed, Dave. I remember very distinctly. There'd be two-star stuff, one-star stuff for a lot of Netflix's original content. I think that's a big reason why they got rid of the star system on there and went with the, hey, did you like this? Did you not like this? Okay, we're going to recommend then these movies based on that rather than saying, here's how people rated this and and how people like this instead of, you know, we're going to kind of direct your movie-going experience here based on other things you've previously liked rather than saying, is this actually any good? And we're going to be honest about that. You know, and I, I understand that. There's something to be said about that. But like I said, you've already got their money. They're already subscribed. Yep. You know, there's going to be more good movies that are coming on and not to mention all the TV shows that you right. can stream. You're still going to keep people around for that. Okay, so now we've got this other stuff you could check out. 
usually if I'm going into some territory where a movie that came out, say, before my time or just was off my radar, I might look up on, you know, internet, which we all have in our handheld pockets nowadays, where you can take a look at, was this movie any good? Well, I get it again, Rotten Tomatoes. This movie's been out for 40 years, but I never saw it. What was it? Was it really any good? Oh, yeah, it's got good reviews. Then I might go check it out. It's not about wasting my money because I've already paid my money for Netflix. It's about am I going to want these two hours back? Am my wife and I going to enjoy ourselves or could I be watching something different? But no, this does. This got good reviews. I'll check it out. Maybe it's my style. Maybe it's not my style. But that being the, beside the point, is it a good movie? Yeah. Maybe it's just not my style. I've got a good closing thought along those lines, but I'll save that. I, I'm curious, are there any other good examples that you have in mind of times that you realized a movie was quite bad or elements that you've seen that make you go, oh, this movie's not not very good? You know, we've talked about what we had an earlier episode, one of our earliest, what makes a good movie. Um, it's, it, I mean, it sounds like a cop-out, but the opposite of what we said in that is what makes a bad movie. <laughs> if you realize that you're watching a movie and you're checking your watch and you're watching time tick by and you're kind of thinking about how much longer till the movie's over, bad sign. You know, movies, when they really work, they pull you in. And they work best in the theater because the theater is kind of like neutral canvas, so to speak. All the theaters, more or less, look alike. It's designed to kind of blend into the background so you focus on the screen. Um and it's big. There's surround sound. Yeah. Your phone's in your pocket. There's not other stuff going on in the house movies, or the, movies, the opportunity to stop it. Yeah. I always thought movies work best in a theater because if you're at your yeah. home, you're in familiar territory. So scary movies are less scary because you know you're in a safe environment. Adventure movies are less thrilling because you're sitting on your couch that just yesterday you were bored sitting on your couch. So it kind of it sets things up. In the theater, you start from neutral and you shift into whatever direction the movie's going to take you. But when you're finding yourself very aware of where you are, bad sign. If you've got jokes that are not working, you know, it's designed to get better as it goes, but you're not even smiling or even a <laughs> nothing. That's not a good sign. And when you start seeing those things, action pieces that that fail to thrill you, um, things that are designed to be of spectacle that really aren't overwowing. When you start seeing those devices thrown at you and they're not having an impact and you're, meh, that's the sign. But again, a lot of this is subjective. There are movies that, I'll, I'll give you an example, Guilty Pleasures, and we'll maybe do our own podcast about this at some point. But it is planned, yes. There, there are movies that I'm not going to recommend to people, but that's not to say they're without value. They speak more to me. Uh, I'll give you an example. One, it was a sci-fi fantasy movie from the early 80s called Crawl. It's kind of a cross between Excalibur, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars. I don't know, really know how to describe it. It's not a movie that I'm going to say, you've got to see this movie. No, you don't. It's not that good. The movie bombed for reasons, but that's not to say it wasn't without value. But if you're a big fan of, oh, I love The Hobbit, I love Lord of the Rings, and I love all those movies, then maybe I would suggest, you know, go into it with low yeah. expectations, but you might find something enjoyable here, but this is this is an also-ran. Uh, Real Men is a guilty pleasure for me. It's a dumb comedy from the late 80s with John Ritter and, J- and Jim Belushi um, about this, a CIA comedy. It is slapstick stupid. But it, there's something about it that just speaks to my kind of slapstick stupid, so it works. Yep. Am I ever going to recommend it to anybody or say, you got to watch this movie? No. But if you see it on the shelf... What's this one? I never heard of this one. Well, there's reasons you never heard of it, but you know, that's a personal taste. Thing. You're on yeah. your own if you want to watch it, but I like it. You know, those do exist, um, but that's part of the aesthetic. That guilty pleasures one is going to be a fun episode because we're we're going to surprise each other. Yeah, and we're probably going to surprise people who listen to this podcast as well, and they'll go, "What." Dave likes that? Oh, come on, Hoove. You seriously like that? It's like, that's what they're going to think when they hear it, but that's part of the entertainment of it. There are some romantic comedies that I like. Yeah. A lot of the Billy Crystal ones, I love them, you know, but they're funny. Is you know, And part of them speak to maybe relationships I've had in the past or something that's going current or something you pine for, whatever the case. I've got two more in terms of things that uh, indicators to me that this movie is not very good. Number one is dialogue. Yeah. Dialogue, I think, is a really big indicator. And it's not just, wow, this was poorly written. It's also, wow, this was poorly delivered and poorly written. Perfect example of that, Attack of the Clones. 
Hayden Christensen. Poor guy. He's never going to get away from this. He won't. He tried with jumper. He tried. Um, it just didn't work. It, you know, I, my brothers and I, and, and also my friends, we will, we will jokingly say those lines to each other all the time from when he's having sand? some very serious conversations with Padme or talking about sand or even when he's talking about the Tuscan Raiders. It's like, this is supposed to be a really serious, emotional scene. And this guy is choking the words out. And he's also choking my soul at the same time. It's painful. Well, he does grow up to be Darth Vader. I find your lack of my accepting acting oh, disturbing. Very good point. You know, he did He did much better, I thought. That in- was foreshadowing. We never guessed that. No, oh, that was foreshadowing. you're absolutely right. Oh! Whoa, wow. That, that makes a lot of sense now. He's choking our souls because he's going to be choking our necks later as Darth Vader. That's a great point, Dave. I'm sorry, you know what? Hayden. I'm so sorry. I haven't given... George Lucas perhaps enough credit or Hayden Christensen <laughs> when thinking about it that way. But anyway, oh. he was better in Revenge of the Sith, much better. But that movie, holy cow, it was it was bad. Uh, but dialogue matters so much in the way that you deliver dialogue. That's why I kind of cringe watching Tom Cruise. Yeah. I kind of do. It's again, this is a personal thing. The guy is an amazing action movie actor. Although when he runs like full-out sprints in the Mission Impossible movies, I kind of laugh because There's, he's kind of funny to watch sprinting across the canvas of the screen with the way this, he runs. Funny you mention that. There was just read something this week. Some you know, MIT students with far too much time on their hands did a study. The more Tom Cruise runs in his movies, the better box office they do. Funny enough. I mean, I suppose you could go back and Netflix everything. Clearly, think, people have noticed this then. I guess. So I don't remember him running at all in Top Gun, but okay. Uh, that was maybe one of the better ones. Anyway, that was just- What about a, in Jerry Maguire? He is sitting when he says, show me the money! Yeah, I, don't remember, I don't remember him running. Maybe it's action movies, but still, Top Gun. He doesn't run once, to my recollection. But it's because he's too busy being on a plane. I, he was moving really fast. Maybe that's yes. what it is. It's not running, but it's speed. So Days of Thunder and you know all of that. Well, yeah. There, you know, I'll tell you another time. I know a movie I'm not going to enjoy, even if the movie is good. This one part that just pulls you out of it. I, I'm so sorry, Carrie Elwes. He, he plays the Dread Pirate Roberts yes. Wesley in Princess Bride. That is the one, and I mean the only one movie that he is good in because it's supposed to be kind of tongue in cheek. Every yes. other movie he's in, and I maybe it's because he was a kid and he grew up in England, and he still has just a little bit of that British accent, but it doesn't really fold well into his more American accent. It just sounds fake. Now, it kind of works in The Princess Bride where he's doing more English accent. But, I mean, Saw. I know Saw's not your movie, and Saw's not the movie for a lot of people. But the first Saw movie is actually good, and he's one of the guys shackled up in the bathroom. Just the way he's delivering lines, it just, no, no, no. It's bad, bad, bad. It's almost what like about he's that, still playing. What about that cocking of the eyebrow that he's got going on? Does that Princess Bride is an exception. He did great in The Princess Bride, but... Everything else, it just doesn't work. Giovanni Ribisi, you and I were talking about him the other day. Yes. He's more of a method actor, but there's something about him where he's just, when he goes for it, that's just unbelievable. To the point where I liked his performance in Ted, but I don't like him at all. His performance in Saving Private Ryan is just, oh, can't somebody shoot him already? Just get him out of the movie and let the movie be good after that. When he starts going the the route of... You know, I'm really going to go for it is when I like him the least because it comes across as so artificial and that just kills me. Quick side question. Did you like Carrie Elwes and Robin Hood Men in Tights? No. That no? Was, that, I hated that movie. And I <laughs> I don't have anything against Mel Brooks, but that movie just did not work. I didn't walk out of it, but I was looking at the watch and just, you know, my friend wanted to go see it and I really didn't. And <sighs> Gotcha. Just... No. I said that there were two for me. The the one was bad dialogue. The other is bad or overused CGI. Or poorly used CGI. Yes. Yeah. That goes in the category of bad. Poorly used, like you said. Yeah. With CGI, you can tell these days when it's when it's good or it's not. And in fact, I think that's that's sometimes a differentiator. I have spoken glowingly about the Planet of the Apes movies here in recent years, the trilogy that they did, and it's because their CGI there is spectacular. But when I see a movie where the CGI is is very clearly not good, like that was one of the problems I had with the Hobbit movies, 
was that their CGI there was almost juvenile. They they just did not move it forward. They had other things Compared that were Compared to the Lord of the Rings, how did you take a back step like that? Right. And and they were well, A, they were long movies, B, they broke the plot up poorly there, and those were other reasons well, why it was a long like movie. It. It's one book. They broke into exactly. three movies. Yep. How did, what? But another problem I had was with the CGI and there were indicators in the first movie that it was going to be that way. I thought the first movie was the best of those three, and yet you could tell Peter Jackson and company had not moved the CGI forward with the advances that had come since they had Legolas riding down the trunk of an elephant in The Return of the King. A great movie, but that was a silly moment in that movie. Um, They hadn't moved the CGI forward at all, and it had been 10-plus years since the Lord of the Rings trilogy had come along. And I was like, oh, come on. That, that didn't help the other elements of which I already mentioned earlier in this episode that I that already are indicators for me and were certainly indicators with those movies. Yeah, you know, Air Force One, great movie. And then they crashed Air Force One into the ocean. We do mention their spoilers, right, in the beginning of this podcast. Well, the movie's 20, 30 years old. We, we ought to know by now. Um, it's supposed to be the climax Welcome of the movie. Welcome to Air Force One. It looks like the ending shot for a video game. It just is horrendous. Late 90s CGI, but even that was, oh, Jar Jar looked better than that thing looked. And, you know, we all love James Bond, but Die Another Day where he's kite surfing on the wave. Come on. That looked like a toddler filmed that in the bathtub. It just looked bad, <laughs> bad, 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 bad. Especially when other parts of the movie had CGI that looked pretty good. How did that one shot look so bad? It took me out of the rest of the movie. Even the invisible car looked pretty good. Well, it's invisible, but any that. any movie not Goldeneye when it came to the the James Bond movies, you knew wasn't going to be great when Pierce Brosnan tried to crack a joke. He was okay. or one of the one-liners. I thought he did okay, but some of the scripts were bad. I just saw uh, uh, the world is not he's enough. Stiff. He's stiff. And it's it just comes off that way. Uh, yeah. I, I like Pierce Brosnan. You were was, saying about the world is not enough. I, I just saw that the other day, and there was so much. This is when uh, Wade and Purvis has done a lot of the writing, and that's the first one that they wrote. But the script was so stilted, and everything was so extra cute, and it just didn't uh, work. You know, when when Sean Connery would do it, it was a normal line that he just had a quip to. But the setup and delivery was so paint by numbers, it just didn't work. And yeah, I, I liked Pierce Brosnan. I thought he did fine as Bond. I mean, he wasn't Daniel Craig. He wasn't less believable that he could go out and hurt you. He was more sophisticated and suave. I thought he did an okay job. I thought he was kind of right down the middle, which worked okay, but I liked the Craig version better. But, you know, I, I uh, again, that's subjective taste. But when you just have a movie that doesn't work on so many levels, whether it's the acting doesn't deliver what's on the page or the page doesn't even bring anything to the page or anything, there's so many yeah. ingredients that can go so sour, so fast, so quick, and sometimes you can smell it a movie trailer away. Yeah, especially when it's a franchise piece sometimes. Like, I went to go see Jason Bourne, not Jason Bourne, it was um, The Bourne Legacy, yeah. the one that they did with Jeremy Renner, and you could just tell as they were going through it, it does not feel the same because they've done so many of these movies by this point, and, well, they had done three, and now they're trying to to spin off and do something different with it, and they're trying to get, they're they're trying to get really technical or really scientific with this. I've once you could tell that the concept was really offbeat. It was like this is not going to work. Sometimes you can tell even when they're talking about making the movie to begin with. Is there a reason to make this movie, or is it a spinoff to be a cash grab? You know, well, we're going to do a Catwoman yeah. spinoff. Well, that could be done well, but then you start to say, well, they're having problems with this and this and that and that. Then the movie just turns into a steaming pile, dumpster fire. You know you've got a problem. If there's no reason to make the movie, but they're making it anyway, I'm looking at you, Pirates of the Caribbean, and a lot of the Disney properties, I'm sorry, then you know you've got a problem Cool concept, just went on way too long with the same shtick that never adapted. Well, it, or got clever. We can always find our way back to Star Wars, but you know they were going to do the Boba Fett standalone movie, right? And they decided let's push it off because somebody there had their own idea. They worked for visual effects and said, "What if we told the story about how the rebels stole the plans of the Death Star in the first place?" And he it was a, it was it was a, a grassroots idea of the movie, and it took on its own life, and that became the first spinoff, Rogue One. 
And it wasn't plotted. It wasn't planned. It was just like, you know what? I really would like to see. And it took on a life of its own. And that spinoff movie rocked. It was a great movie. Tremendous movie. The other spinoff, Solo, I mean, it did not do well at the box office, but I thought it was fine. It was but fun. It, it was fun. It was a good movie. It was what you expected it to yeah. be. I think the the box office poison was left over from The Last Jedi myself, yeah. but- um. Yeah, it was plotted, and so now all the others are like, "Well, maybe we won't." Let's see. I'd like to end on a positive note, Dave. Yeah. Uh, since we've we've kind of been ragging on why we don't like some of these movies, but I I do want to end on on a, a good note here, and maybe something that's worth considering as as people take in movies. I mentioned earlier how I am pretty selective about going to movies, and I would encourage people, even though these experiences have happened to you or probably will happen to you. Don't let that take you away from stepping into the theater and taking a chance on a movie. Don't let that hold you back because you may end up leaving surprised and you may end up leaving going, wow, that was a great movie that was worth my time. And maybe you do leave going, wow, that wasn't very entertaining or very great. And I'll give an example. This was not for myself. I went to go see Gravity with my brothers and a couple of our friends and my sister. And we went and we saw it in 3D IMAX. Um, my my friends cool. my friends had an extra uh, my friends had some t- free tickets that we had to go and see this. And we decided let's give Gravity a try. And I liked it. I it was an amazing in theater movie experience to go see it like that on the big screen like that. My brothers left and absolutely hated that movie. They hated it. They they thought it was so bizarre. They they did not like um, how how first person visual it was. They they didn't like just the the concept. I thought it was pretty innovative. I was hearing your brothers hate this movie. Do they like any movies? Oh, they do. Okay, they love Dumb and Dumber. For for example. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they, they have taste. They, That's uh, good. they like the oceans movies. We love the oceans movies. Those are those are among our okay, favorites. Okay, yeah, so so we we they have their own taste. But they really did not like that movie, and I felt terrible for a couple of weeks that my brothers had gone, and and then my friends they didn't like that movie either. Hmm. Um, they I felt terrible that we had gone and used a free ticket on going to see a movie that they ended up not liking. And I kind of said as much to them a little bit later on down the line. And they said something interesting to me. They said, Joel, it's not a big deal. We take a chance and we go see these movies. We have a fun time. And maybe we do end up talking about, oh, wow, I didn't like that. But it was still an experience. It makes it its own night, yeah. Exactly. And that's part of the movie-going experience. And we've talked about why the movie-going experience matters. That's why, because even with the bombs, the ones that you don't like, you still had an experience, hopefully with friends, or you know, if you went on your own, it's like maybe I could pull something from that movie. Hey, look at us now. We're talking about doing a whole podcast episode, sitting at the table, having a good morning, talking about the movies that we thought sucked. You know, exactly. If you go see winners across the board, you don't get to have. The, oh, I love that. Oh, I did too. Oh, I love that too. You don't get to have that. You like that? I thought that movie was just horrible. And do, you know, even my the first time I went and saw Phantom Menace, it's memorable to me. Yeah, because it was so underwhelming. I was expecting to revert into a twelve-year-old, and it just didn't happen. But you know, I, I will also say this: you know, we're at least at the time that we're recording this podcast, which is mid-January, January, February, and to a lesser extent, March, tend to be the burial ground for movies. The theater when, when studios know they've got something that's not working, they need to get it out, so they'll release it at this time of year because it tends to be a downtime for the box office. So it's a, it, traditionally a bad time to go see a movie. However, they're also learning that because there's not much for competition. You can put a movie out, like, say, Glass, although the early reviews, it hasn't come out at the time we've recorded this, the early reviews are not all that favorable, but there have been movies that have been designed. Let's put this out when nobody else is going to see the movies and all the competition is bad. That's not to say that January through March means don't go to the theaters. It means take a look at stuff because occasionally 
you do get some things come out. Or smaller movies that if they'd come out a month earlier around Christmas time, they get lost in the shuffle. So let's get it a better chance to be seen, especially with less competition. You Think of it as the rummage bin at the store. You might really find some gems in there or some well-positioned expecting to be hits. That's right. But we'll put them up against less competition. So keep your eyes open for those. I echo what Hoof said. Take a chance. Go see those movies. But if you could tell that it's going to be a dumpster fire from the start, Sure, you can go see it still, Holmes and Watson, looking at you. Is that even still in theaters? It's been playing for a week, and it's already done. I'm not seeing done. it. So, you know, take a shot at it. Have some fun. At the very least, you can make it like Mystery Science Theater 3000, where you'll be the guys in the row mocking the movie on the big screen. That in itself can be fun. Be willing to take a chance. Because sometimes you may discover a great movie out of it. I've taken a chance on some movies, classics, currents, and i found that I've really liked them. And maybe you get an experience out of it in the end. That's part of the movie going risk. You know, that's that's part of what comes with life, really. But um, it, it can produce some pretty cool things sometimes in ways that maybe you didn't really expect. But that's part of what makes going to the movies fun. Is that unexpected? Or, okay, maybe that wasn't such a good one. Hey, despite what the hipsters say, I like the book better. Sometimes the movies are better. Go see for yourself. And go see them at Bemidji Theater. That's right. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. We are pleased to have them aboard as a sponsor of the podcast. They are located on Highway 2, just across from the airport here in Bemidji. $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. Great time to go. Although, keep in mind, the lines may be a bit long. That's worth the wait. Go see those movies for a little cheaper. Cheaper snacks, too. And tell Missy and crew that Dave and Hoof sent you. We'll see where we go next time with the podcast. That was a pretty fun one today, though. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. We'll see you at the movies.